Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today, welcome to episode 50. Is it 50, John? 50. Yeah, episode 50. Episode 50. And this is uh, this is a new experience for us. Uh, but first, let me tell you what today is all about. We're going to talk about discipleship and normal human beings. There's a tendency for pastors to expect people to have um, the intensity of missional focus that a disciple or an apostle had. And is that a fair expectation? And what is it exactly that the scriptures would call normal human beings who have jobs and families? Uh, how does their call differentiate from someone who may be called to to be a missionary or an apostle of yeah. some sort? This is something does I that all make with, sense? Something I struggled with for a long time growing up. Not not the the, the idea that uh, there's not a whole lot of normal people in in that are the main focus of, of scripture stories. Right. They do. Uh, they weave in and out. And we'll talk about right. some of those as we go. This is an interesting episode for us, John. We're, we're uh, recording remotely. Yeah, remotely. Our first one remotely. Yeah. You're in your uh, little condo pad apartment place, and I'm in, <laughs> yeah. I'm in our regular uh, podcasting studio, and we're using some technology we've never used before, and we're hoping it sounds great. So if you struggle with the sound being any different on this episode. That is why we are honoring social distancing. Yeah. And if you're mad about it, then you're breaking So the are law. we. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are we. Exactly. So, John, before we get going, it is joke or story time. What do you got? It's your turn. So sometimes I try and get a story that's like tied in with the um, the topic for the day. This is not one of those times. I could. This is just oh. a fun story. I okay. had my first car. I actually got it long before I could drive because we got it for free. Uh, was the single cab extended bed uh, white Ford F-150 from 1992, I think. It actually uh, is not an extended cab. It's a regular cab. No, no, a single cab extended bed. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, just it was a, just, a, just a two-door really, regular cab truck. Yeah, really front-heavy thing. Yeah, uh, it had been sitting on uh, at a farm for quite some time, having not been driven. And a family actually contributed to us. They gave it to us. Yeah. And it was a, um, a fishing car, I think. So it was it only smelled used to, like a boat. It smelled like a boat and it had pretty low miles. And I loved it. Oh, really, it's really a great cool. truck. Really and cool. the bumper sticker on the back that said, uh, work is for people who don't know how to fish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so we, we got it when I was 15. And I didn't drive till I was 18. Well, I got my permit when I was like 17 or something. Just because I'm a, you know. A late bloomer, I guess, but yeah, something uh, like that. Something like that. Uh, but anyway, I love this truck, and uh, I drove it around for my last high school days, and then uh, would commute with it for a bit, and then I got this Passat that was my uh, my late grandfather's, and I took that to Northwest. And uh, but anyway, my the end of my first year at Northwest, I brought the truck up, uh, uh, drove down in the Passat, drove up with the truck to to pack all my stuff away, and so for the last week or two. Uh, I was had this truck up there and I loved it. And uh, two two fun stories. One, all my buddies in the dorm. We lived the dorms are uh, at Northwest are about um, maybe maybe a mile, a little over a mile from uh, this drive-in uh, Burger Master. I like think a movie drive-in? No, sorry, uh, a burger drive-in. Uh, oh, a burger drive-in. Burger Master. I'm oh, sure I love that place. Yeah, super super good. Yeah. Uh, and so we would we would sometimes all go down there, a bunch of different cars. This time, a bunch of my buddies got in the back of my truck, and I drove us down there. And we sat 
on the the tailgate and on the sides of the the bed and ate these burgers from Burger Master. Oh, that's and a good memory. It was a great, great memory. Uh, one of the last weeks of the the dorms, and after that, I was in the uh, apartments with still a lot of my friends. But that was the last one. It was, it was really great. And then I hope they gave you gas money. That truck got like uh, two <laughs> gallons a mile. Yeah, they didn't. I mean, it was it was like a three mile round trip. So I know, but that's that's not nothing in that truck. No, you're right. And uh, it had the biggest engine Ford made at the time. Yeah, nineteen ninety two. And uh, man, that thing could just. It could do anything. Yeah, but man, I I told just with how front heavy it was, I peeled out on this like nothing turn, <laughs> like a, like seriously like a twenty degree turn, and it was raining, mm-hmm. and just, and I was fine. But it was that's the kind of stuff happened regularly because of how weirdly uh, weighted it was. The other that's thing, awesome. So that was one story. You said you had a story, second yeah. one. Yeah, like, we have great memories in that truck. I, one time we went to sell your motorcycle. This is not, but this is before I was at Northwest, and we drove the motorcycle up there in the bed of the truck. Sold it to this guy in Seattle, and then drove back in just the craziest sunset, like golden hour. Rainier is purple, mm. and uh, and then we stopped at like a gas station on the way back and got a snack or something. It was it was that was a, another really great memory of it. Just yeah, as, you'd uh, have to stop at a gas station going to Seattle and back. I don't think the thing could do a round trip in one tank. It had the two fuel <laughs> tanks, but we never used the second. Oh, that's one. right. <laughs> uh, the second time, uh, I don't know if if listeners or you remember my story of, of my uh, my. A Chinese exchange student friend who took me to lunch. And oh yeah, just the bizarre time that it was. I went, then went with him to get a haircut. Uh, yeah, and all of a sudden you're his best friend. Yeah, so this was another one of those weird times. My buddy uh, at Northwest was talking to this girl, and uh, and the Chinese buddy? No, different buddy. Uh, uh, oh, okay. uh, uh, my my friend Lem, uh, uh, one of my groomsmen. He's he, one of my my better friends, mm-hmm. and uh, Kevin, the Chinese student. He was you know. He's like uh, Kramer, basically, in in my in my stories. <laughs> anyway, Len was talking to this girl, and uh, I so I he's with her and her friends, and I'm uh, on lunch, and he's the, the the only table of people I know in the cafeteria. So I go there and I sit next to them, and basically immediately Lem leaves, and so I'm at this table with a bunch of people I don't know, and kind of awkward. And then my buddy Alan shows up, and he sits down next to me, and so it's great. And uh, this this uh, chick that that Lem is talking to needs a ride to go to work. And I met her like 10 minutes ago, and she says, will you give me a ride to go to to work? Oh, and, wow, and you've known her 10 minutes. Yeah, maybe 10 minutes, probably less. And she, uh, uh, it was it was very strange, you know, very forward. <laughs> and uh, and I had and my... And what, what is her origin? Is she, she is, well, I was a Washingtonian? Say, no, she's uh, uh, born and raised in Hawaii. Oh, okay. Uh, so not, not a different country, but definitely a different culture. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, all I have is a single cab truck. And so I say, I say to Alan, will you go with me to take this, this, <laughs> <laughs> this student to work? <laughs> and so we are three abreast. Oh, my gosh. Thing, me, then Alan, then, uh, then yeah. this woman. And fortunately, she didn't live far. She lived. Uh, uh, if you had a dog in away. the truck with you, that would be what they call a Montana double date. <laughs> 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 I'm sure they do call it that. But we took her there, and she was uh, nannying, I think. So it was just this residence in Kirkland. It wasn't that far away. No, not at all. But just this really, really weird trip. Pretty quiet. Um, dropped her off, and then, and then went back. Um, so two funny, one one really um, nice, and then one pretty funny truck stories at Northwest. That's funny. I miss that truck though. Not the I bet you do that. Yeah, that's pretty. It's a great truck. I've got a great one now though. 
Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So, John, get us started on this conversation. I know that it's something we both have thought a lot about. Um, How would you frame the conversation from the way you uh, the way you would address it, at least as we get started? So for me, it's it's uh, it's like an ongoing um, dilemma between the uh, crazy logic defying, um, you know, uh, uh, what, what's the term I'm thinking of? Both feet in? Is that a thing? Both feet in? Like mm-hmm. in the boat? Like full full commitment moves of, of uh, scriptural in. heroes or, or modern day uh, uh, missionaries. Moves like um, uh, Francis Chan recently did where he's like, you know what? We're going to China. Oh, right. We're going to right. in We're China. We're going to sell everything and go to China. Yeah. Or is it China? Is it uh, wherever it is? I, I, thought, I understand. I thought it was, but I didn't honestly didn't look into it all that much. But so that the... the the fact that those are all uh, exist and and scripturally they're sanctioned by God, like God tells them to do this and they do that, and then the people who uh, who don't, who are you know followers of Christ and they uh, are not, they don't do those things and they're not called to do those things, and how these um, to so like if you hear a voice in your head saying, "Hey, sell everything you have and go to Haiti," like another another guy we knew when we went to Haiti, um, and knowing is that. God, because if every single person followed their their craziest instincts for the kingdom, you know, so so that that kind of tension that's what that's what it is to me. That's what this conversation is to me. Is yeah, and that's the I two think, as I recall. Yeah, it's one of the reasons you struggled to find. Uh, you wanted God to tell you what to do for a career. Yeah, it kind of bled into that conversation yeah, for you. But, I, I don't want to just have a career. I want to have the career God wants me to have. Exactly. Yeah, and. uh and so that's basically it. And and just these crazy, you know, the apostles, like we like we prefaced with, um, the apostles doing their globe-trotting, crazy, uh, martyr mm-hmm. um, careers. And then these people in the cities that they would leave behind who, who you know, made tents or made ropes or just had their trades that, they, that their, you know, parents had done or whatever. And then, and they were now Christ followers in their town with their neighbors. And they weren't called to leave, you know, that, so, so that kind of tension. Yeah. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, you were in high school, I believe, and you were asking me, Dad, I'm I'm loving Jesus more than ever. And at what point is there a line where like once you cross that line of loving Jesus that much, you got to go pro. <laughs> like yeah. you're supposed to be in ministry then because anybody who loves God above this line needs to do that for a living. You remember that conversation? I don't remember it that way. The way I've always thought about it is, um, is that the people that we see in scripture who who the moral of the story is they obeyed god and it worked so uh we see jonah he doesn't obey god he's called to do this crazy thing Mm -hmm. and his life is ruined then he obeys god and it works uh especially more often than not old testament so we see um in i believe it's kings is that where uh, elijah's story is kings um you're gonna put me on a bible quiz right here don't worry about it in, in, uh, I don't think he's in Kings. Maybe it was, he's in Chronicles. Yeah, yeah. I, either one. This uh, nameless man shows up, and he's told to um, to go deliver this message, and then and then go back home and not eat with anybody. His, the Lord tells him, "Do not eat with anybody," and hmm. uh, he does, and then he gets mauled by a tiger to death and not eaten, <laughs> and and he's left there. So all of these things where it's it's obey God or or, or bad things happen, and, and the, the uh, obedience is huge. That's slightly tangential to really what it was, is that there's, the main characters are always um, 
ministry is their is their life. They don't they don't say it like that. They don't call it ministry, but their whole life is towards the kingdom of God. They don't have day jobs. So yeah. it was that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then so you know, I, I, let me frame this up the way I was thinking about it too, and we'll kind of merge these two things together because sure. I think they definitely do merge. I know that when I read Matthew twenty-eight and the Great Commission, there's the eleven there because Judas had betrayed and he's dead, and so the eleven are there. The resurrected Jesus, he's about to ascend for good, and he gives them what we call the Great Commission: go into all the world make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. And so um, preachers always present the great commission is that it applies to every Christian. Yeah. And so uh, does that mean every Christian is supposed to go into all the world? Every Christian is supposed to be going. Um, And if it is for everybody, how come there was only 11 there? Because we know that in Acts chapter 1, there's 120 believers in the upper room kind of hanging out and wondering what's going to happen next. Sure. And uh, they weren't down there for the Great Commission. It right. was just the 11. And so this tension, and I think uh, I, I felt this in high school as a new Christian. I was crazy in love with Jesus, and my youth pastor immediately thought I should be in the ministry. And I was like, no, I'm going go to I'm gonna go to college, get an accounting degree, and go to law school. And uh, it never occurred to me to be in vocational ministry, but – uh, I know that it, the tension is uh, what exactly is God calling regular people to who have regular jobs, who live in a regular neighborhood, who raise regular kids? What does it look like to be profoundly obedient to Jesus in that context? And I think we pastors betray you because we don't tell a lot of those stories. We don't talk about the mm. theology of work very much. We don't talk about uh, how to glorify God and your finances right where you are. You know, we, we have these grand stories of these big heroes who did outlandish things. Right. And so the question that I, and maybe, maybe I, maybe you and me, uh, I don't know if you wrestle with this as much as I do, or if we're creating tension that most people don't already feel, but it seems to me that when you look at the Bible and you see these crazy stories, most people would say, well, what about me? I, I, I'm not gonna, you know, that's not me. Yeah, no, I definitely feel that way, um, because like, because especially when the language that is that is used in from the the pulpit, you, you don't have a pulpit, but from from the the, the stage sermons are always saying, uh, going on the adventure with Jesus. Your life is an adventure with Jesus. You know, you go and and he'll lead you places you never thought you were going to be. And when I look at um, my life, is maybe too short so far to really see that accurately. But when I look at other Christians who are you know, at the end of their careers. And I think, um, the adventure isn't like what it was for the apostles. You know, I, it's not to say that they had yeah. like a boring life, but they didn't go, they didn't sell everything they had and, and go to China. You know, that's not, they didn't do that. They, so, so the, the language there, um, is tricky because it, because it, I don't always see it physically like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You do have, uh, stories throughout history of regular people doing extraordinary, adventurous, life-endangering things. Right. Uh, you have, um, you know, the family in uh, the Netherlands who hid the hiding place and were hiding Jews and risking their lives to protect the lives of Jews. You've got Schindler's List. You know, that guy's not a pastor. He's a businessman. 
And so uh, I do think that God invites all of us to an adventure, but the adventure might look a little differently. So do you? my concern is that some people might feel like less of a Christian if they're not having these life-threatening or I'm selling everything I have and doing something outrageous that maybe I'm a less of a Christian. And I, and I, yeah. and so really what for me is what is the theology of a normal life? A guy who works, you know, my buddy, uh, Ken, his dad worked at Boeing for 40 years, one company, Damn. one job, 40 years. Yeah. What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus in that context? And, uh, how do we celebrate that and somehow take the pressure off that I've got to be the apostle Paul, or even I've got to be Francis Chan, or I've got to be, you know, one of these guys. Well, one of my, um, especially lay theologian heroes, one of my heroes in general is, is, uh, Abe Daniel, our, uh, former, mm-hmm. was he executive pastor? Yeah. And, um, and Abe, his whole life, he has no formal theological training, no, no Bible school nothing like that. Um, but his whole life has been, uh, go to a new town working at, uh, JC Penney. He, man- he managed JC Penney's. And it, whenever they would lead him to a new town, he would um, go to the church there and just dig deep and just just uh, pour into this church. And um, and he, uh, uh, you know, preaches and he has the understanding of of, you know, my, my point being that that he's not a minister and he lives this uh, um, elbow deep life in ministry with right. his day job that is not at all related to ministry. So that that's kind of the model I see in my head of the non um, missions focused um, devoted life. Does that make, is, yeah. is that yeah 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 absolutely? And I think that you know he's had lots of adventure, and the adventure can come in lots of ways. You've already had some that you've minimized and not maybe recognized the adventure that they were. But when you met students at at college, for example, and when you became friends with this Chinese guy and you, you now have this adventure, every day the Holy Spirit is going to prompt you in small ways and in maybe middle-sized ways and every once in a while in a really great way where mm-hmm. he might prompt you to give your car, like just hand the keys and give the pink slip to somebody. Um, I had a friend who in Colorado, he, he owns a, uh, a fruit and snack company. And he had this dream car since he was in high school, and he kept say he would save up because he paid cash for everything. And every time he had enough cash to go buy that car, the Lord would tell him to give it to missions, to give it to some missionary. Wow! And so he saved up the money for that car four or five times, oh my gosh. and then gave it away every time. And finally, his dad got so frustrated with him. His dad went and bought him the, the car because he knew <laughs> that he never would. Yeah. And uh, to me, there's adventure in in that that you're not just um, you know, uh, trying to figure out the life of your dreams, you are open-handed with your possessions and your time, and you're living this adventure of maybe you see a hitchhiker and God says, pick him up. And maybe there's a flat tire on the side of the road, stop and help. And then that becomes a relationship. Next thing you know, you're four relationships down that trail being used by God for somebody who's fighting cancer. Yeah. And then you're uh, in... just because you were obedient one step at a time. And that the the model of the oikos is still there, that you're actually, you now entered someone else's oikos because of following, you know, whatever prompting you had from the Spirit. Yeah, that, and that's, uh, that's uh, that, you know, the, the phrase I like is a, a consistent obedience in the same direction. 
And so you're just, uh, in fact, the, the go into all the world literally translates as you go, as you're going. And this is what life following Jesus is like. Uh, John, you're a journalist and you're married and you live in an apartment complex and you walk to Target. You don't walk to Baskin Robbins nearly enough, uh, but you, you know, you, you have this life rhythms and patterns. And as you go, uh, live that sensitive to and responsive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and be obedient. Steward your money well. Don't don't try to say, well, how much, you know, what kind of lifestyle does my money allow for me to enjoy? Instead, what kind of lifestyle does God want me to live within the financial management that I have? And how much margin does, does he want me to create for generosity to others? Um, you know, there's a, there's a real, so this is what I, I, I was afraid that at the start, it was sounding like, Real adventure is reserved for those with a calling of God on their lives. Sure. And that's not true. And uh, on the flip side, yeah. I don't want you, I don't want normal people to feel guilty that they're not going all chips in and going to Asia with Francis Chan. Right. Well, what then, um, what separates that calling from this calling? Are there, is it just, is there no, um, what am I trying to say? Is there no virtue in it, really? Where where God calls you what he's going to call you to, and if it's crazy, it's crazy, and if it's not, it's not. Is it that kind of thing? I, I do think that um, you will not be compared to anyone at the end of your life. When you stand alone with God, he's going to compare you to what he called you to and what you actually did. He's not going to compare you to any other human being or anybody else's story. And that's the talents, the parable of the talents. That's Yeah, the, and he's going to say, you. here's what I gave you, John. Were you faithful with it? And, 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 you know, I prompted you 17 times to go talk to that one person and you never would do it, um, you know, or whatever, but he's going to yeah. compare you to you and to what he was trying to do in you, not to anyone else. And I think that's a liberating thing. Uh, yeah. A little, you know, makes me clench <laughs> up a little bit, but yeah, <laughs> that doesn't liberate you that you're not going to no, be compared does. to anyone else. It, I'm glad I, I won't be compared to, you know, um, to, to Abe Daniel, you know, just to, to keep it there. But, uh, but to, to think of all the times, and this is just the, the truth of the final, uh, judgment that, uh, to think of all the times that I, uh, that I slipped up and, and, and impeded the, uh, potential of, you know, whatever God wanted. Yeah. I think we, we've done a little bit of disservice. You remember, you may be too young for this. I don't think so, but there was the WWJD bracelets. Yeah. I remember that. What would Jesus do? Yeah, well, and those were hot for a, for a minute. They were, and it came from a book uh, called "In His Steps." Are you familiar with the book? Uh, no. It was a it was a group of people. It's a fiction uh, book, and it's about about a group. I think it's fiction. I'm ninety nine percent sure it's fiction. About a group of people who decided they were in a small group together, and they decided that they were going to ask before they made every single decision. What would Jesus do? And whatever the answer was, that's what they would do. Hmm. So one of them was a journalist, and he had these stories to write, and some of them were very uh, poisonous. And he was asking himself, what would Jesus do in this story? And he wrote it as if Jesus were writing it instead of him. Wow. Uh, people in business, um, relationships, they went, and it kicked off this this story. It's a small book. It's a good read. Um, but I, I have come to believe that that's the wrong question, what would Jesus do? Uh, what would because that question basically says what would Jesus do since he's Jesus right I think a better question is what would Jesus do if he had my life what would Jesus do with my personality and my temperament uh, 
Hmm. What would Jesus do if he had my income and my kids and my family and my job and my friends in my oikos? What would Jesus do right there? That's really the question. And maybe that's what those guys were trying to ask, but it helps me to uh, answer the question more clearly if I say, what would Jesus do if he were me in this moment? I've always struggled with that because it's like, um, because like you said, Jesus never married, you know, he didn't, and he had an understanding of things that I'll never have, you know, those kinds of things make it, make it tricky. But, um, but I definitely see what you're, what you're, uh, uh, yeah, maybe ahead. even the better question is, what would Jesus have me do in sure. this, there given my context? Right. Instead of what would Jesus do, because it is hard to relate to that, what yeah. would Jesus have me do um, in this moment and in this opportunity? That's That may be a better, even even a better question. Yeah. And uh, and I'll throw this out there because cause he, when I asked those questions as a kid, because I actually asked you about this a few times, if, if every, you know, quote unquote, legitimate Christian had to go into ministry, but um the the call to ministry uh or the call to missions how do you have any advice for someone who thinks they're called to missions or thinks they're called to ministry and how to kind of sort that out with their other stuff because it is as far as the um the careers of Christians that's kind of an esteemed one they, you know they're they're held to a different standard eternally uh you know. Well, and this is, you know, I'm glad you kind of segue into this because this is one of the tensions I've had as a pastor. So, for example, um, and and uh, this will be the long way around to answer your question, but I sure. think it's something that's worthy of a conversation. When I was a young man in my 20s and I was a youth pastor, people would say things to me who weren't pastors, and they'd say, you can't do that. You're a pastor. Sure. Or they would say, you can't tell that joke. You're a pastor. I can't believe a pastor would say that. I wish I had a dime for every time somebody said that to me because I'd be rich. And the thing is, um, I would say to them, why are the standards of my mouth different than the standards of your mouth? We both serve the same Jesus. How come I have a standard you don't have? And and I would push against that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't like the pressure of that. And then, um, then I would embrace the call and realize that God has called me to something different, not better, not more spiritual, just different. And then I would go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then, you know, the scripture really elevates the priesthood of the believer that anybody can pray for anyone for healing. It doesn't have to be a pastor or a missionary. Yeah, uh, God can use you in powerful spiritual gifts, and He can use me. Um, but I'm not special. You're not special. He's special, right? And so I'd go back and forth with, uh, you know, the uniqueness of your calling or the office to which you are called, versus what applies to every Christian. And this has been a source of tension for me sure. for the entire, you know, 36 years that I've been in ministry. And um, I, I have embraced, I've gotten comfortable with this. Um, what's okay for others is not okay for me. Hmm. Um, an example, I don't think the Bible teaches abstinence from alcohol. I don't think that's what it goes out to teach. I think right. it warns about the dangers of alcohol like it warns about the dangers of debt. Um, and so we, we need to steward that well. I don't drink, not because I don't desire to, mm-hmm. but because I 
of the position that I hold and the role that I serve and the leadership that I'm called to, that it is wiser for me to maximize the calling of God in my life to just remove that from my life. So, uh, but I would say, you know, to, to a, to a non clergy, non credentialed, non whatever, um, I wouldn't discourage them from having a beer. I would offer the same warnings the scriptures do about yeah. excess and all that. Anyway, I, I, um, do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah. When I, and, and I guess I meant, um, cause I, I agree with you that, uh, um, maybe the mindset of someone saying, Hey, you can't do that. You're a pastor is, is giving themselves, letting themselves off easy. Is them saying, well, yeah. I, I'm fine because I'm not a clergyman. Um, uh, I more meant, uh, passages about, um, you know, uh, uh, leading, ca- causing someone to, to, uh, sin is like, is, is hugely, um, you know, is, is a very big deal and leading, leading people who you are authority, you have authority over astray is a very big deal and that the punishments for that could be severe. That's more mm-hmm. what I meant as, as the stakes are higher because you have more responsibility, um, because you are their, you're their, um, their shepherd in a, in an earthly sense, you know, that, that's more yeah, what I when, meant. when, when people, uh, have a conversation with me, they may add a little more weight to what I say than they would to someone who's exactly. not a pastor. Exactly. Your voice is more important to them than other people's voice. Yeah, voice certainly is. carries a little different weight. Like if I went and got legal advice from a lawyer and then I go mm-hmm. uh, walk in that advice and it blows up in my face. Yes, that's more what and I meant so, about, about heightened um, um, uh, responsibility or, or a higher standard maybe. But Yeah, yeah. I, I thought you meant a higher moral standard, which gotcha. uh, which often people place on on that uh, versus just a um, a higher standard for being careful about what you say. Sure, I, I have learned to say to people, "Hey, I'm not. I don't. I'm not speaking on God's behalf on this, and I'm not. I'm not thinking. I'm not certain. I'm right, and I certainly don't feel like there's a spiritual prompting about this." If mm-hmm. Sometimes I I use that to make sure they understand, hey, I'm not speaking as a pastor right now, or I'm not giving you spiritual advice. I'm just yeah. talking to you as a friend and a dude. Gotcha. Well, then so, reaching that back around to the to, to the calling and knowing whether or not you're called. You said you you had you had some 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 juice for that too. Yeah, I think that you know the best advice I got was because uh, I I see a lot of guys. Um, particularly young guys um, feeling called to ministry. And I think some of them are responding to a couple of things. They're, they're having that conversation you had when you were in high school, man, I love Jesus a whole lot and I really enjoy serving him. Should I go pro? Uh, Another one is they look at the life of someone they admire who's in the ministry and they want that life. I want, I want people to um, add weight to my views when I talk I want people to give me uh, spiritual respect. Um, I want I want to encourage and help people. I want to see people's lives transformed by the way that I contribute to their life. You know, they're drawn to that. Yeah. And there's some who are drawn. They think ministry is sitting in coffee shops and having coffee and uh, <laughs> not really working for a living. And I've met guys on all sides of that yeah. equation. And so the best advice I got was that if you – here's a couple of points I would say. If you can walk away from a full-time call to ministry and live with yourself, you should. 
It is a very hard life. It is a very different life. It's a life that affects marriages and parenting and kids. Hmm. Uh, certainly uh, earning power for most of your life. Um, and so I would say that, and it, and it's it's the most dangerous place to be a Christian is in vocational ministry. It's hazardous to your spiritual health. Just because so, it's, it becomes like your job, you mean? or, or Yeah, how? and there's so much weird psychosis to it to, to think that God used me in a powerful way, but I'm sure. just me, frail that I am, and how do I reconcile that? There's a lot to that. So I think if you can walk away from vocational ministry and live with yourself without being miserable, you should. I would encourage everyone who can run from it to run from it. Hmm. Uh, but if you can't, and this is how you'll know you're called, is that you can't run from it. You just can't shake it. You must do it. Yeah. I think that's a big deal. I also think that um, when God gives gifts, those gifts bear fruit. So I have met people who are convinced they should be in vocational ministry, but they can't seem to persuade anyone about anything, and they can't rally people to follow them, and they so they're, they don't have fruit to support their sure the view they have that they're called. And so, you know, if you're, if you think you're a leader and you look behind you and nobody's there, you're actually just out taking a walk. Well, and this, I've actually forgot to say this. When I, when I, when I was asking those questions as a kid, it was never because I thought I had the, what it, anointing or right. Yeah. Uh, Like even, even just on a a skills level, the the, um, leadership skills of the speaking or the persuasion, um, but then you look at guys like uh, um, Paul, who reportedly didn't speak very well at all, or Moses, who reportedly right. had a speech impediment. And and so you think about those kinds of examples, and, and that's really where the, the big legends of the Bible um, are can confront you. And it's, it's, it's hard to know when is it the exception to the rule and when is it not. Right. And the thing about Moses, you know, he's 80 when he finally gets it right. Yeah. Um, he tried it at 40. It didn't work. He goes, he runs, and for 40 years he's in the wilderness. So he's 80 when he gets it right, and he does have a speech impediment. Paul the apostle was not an eloquent speaker, and Paul is the one who said, I proclaim the gospel to you not in matters of speech but in power. The kingdom of God is not words but power Yeah, and the demonstration of power. And he wanted your faith to rest not in the eloquence of man but in the, but in the power of God. And so – uh, I would still say there was evidence, clearer evidence of his call because God did miracles through him. And sure, um, you know, there was just evidence around him that that what he was doing was bearing kingdom fruit. And I think his actual his actual um, gifting was in tenacity and in uh, in just the the Saul kind of um, um, gifting where you just couldn't stop the guy from doing anything that he wanted to do. He was just driven. That's that's yeah. Of- so. Yeah, I want to interview you for a second, John. So sure. uh, you're called to be a disciple of Jesus. You are a journalist. You're a married man, no kids. Um, when you think about go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples, actually, go into all the world and make disciples of all people, what do you hear God saying to you about what it means for you to be a disciple of Jesus in your context? Um. Well, it's because you said earlier that I uh, needed to hear from God what I should do with my life. And uh, and I don't know if I've told the story on uh, Upstream before, but I feel like I did hear that. I, I prayed about it, and I um, uh, met a friend that I hadn't seen in a few years, and, and he told me about journalism, and it just it felt – it, it kind of hit me. I was like, oh, well, obviously. 
and uh and I've long held that to be as as um as unceremonious as it sounds that really was like ringing a bell to me and mm-hmm. and I thought I should be a journalist and so um so up until this point I kind of didn't think about it too hard because I was like well when I get there I'll just wait for my next orders you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. and so uh I'm kind of in the growing pains of that to where uh to where I'm not exercising my agency as much as I should I'm not being Paul as much as I should I'm I'm kind of sitting on my hands because I'm waiting for, all right, I made it. You know, it's like um, getting directions. And sometimes from- it's easier for you to give advice to someone else than it is to see clearly in your own context. So let's say yeah. you're talking to um, – let's say you're talking to a buddy of yours who has a college degree or he's got some skill sets, but he hasn't really figured out, you know, or he's, or he's, in a, he's just in a place that's kind of flat right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your advice to him about, um, being a disciple of Jesus right in the middle of his context? I would probably cite, um, maybe like, uh, like Joseph when he was, uh, um, in prison or, or just really anywhere he was, it mm-hmm. wasn't about his circumstances. It was about, um, it was about him and God and what he could do and how he could uh, represent God's favor and power in his life, regardless of his circumstance. So either from prison um, or, or while, uh, after being sold into slavery or, you know, um, so, so I'd, I'd probably reference that and how, um, the condition, the conditions you need to be effective for the kingdom or to obey God are next to nothing. There, there's no pre-existing, um, uh, pre-existing condition is qualification is or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't need a, yeah. you don't need a specific environment to mm-hmm. do what you need to do. So, um, because of how how uh, powerful and fluid and interactive the spirit is, you know that's probably that's great I'm, advice. That's yeah. great advice. And when you think about you know the the, the conditions don't have to be perfect yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> for you to for you to uh, obey God. Because right. sometimes in the middle, you know, I have had times where uh, someone is in the middle of a marriage disaster. There, they him him and his wife can't stand each other. They're having terrible conflict, and yet. Mm. God used him in power in the middle of that weakness to maybe even speak life into somebody else's marriage while he wow. still can't figure out his own. Yeah. So it is important to know that we, we minister most powerfully out of our weakness, not out of our strength and strengths can actually be uh, deceptive Yeah. and you lean on those strengths when instead of leaning on God. So uh, I think that advice is phenomenally strong that whether you're in prison or whether you're in a palace or whether you're, uh, rich or poor, what matters is to be sensitive to and obedient to the promptings of God, to love the Lord your God with your all your heart, your soul, your mind. We know this applies to everybody, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Love the Lord with everything you've got, with your brain and your body and your money and your sexuality and your intellect and your talents, and to love every human being you meet the way you love you. I mean, if it really, there's an adventure for you because every part of your life is nuanced by uh, the circumstance you're in at that moment and the opportunity in front of you in that moment or the challenge. And so that's an adventure, I think. That's awesome. Yeah. I think in that kind of, uh, we're a little earlier for takeaways maybe, but, but that seems to be the, um, that's the umbrella for the conversation, right? Is, is the, um, you can't go wrong living that way. Uh, yeah, I agree. And then if you add the oikos layer on top of that, because uh, that layer is my own love for God and my own love for my neighbors and whoever's right in front of me right now, 
but then you add the layer of oikos to your mission so that you just now start to pay a little closer attention to the 8 to 15 people God has put on the front row of your life. Now you start having laser focus with how you can contribute life and the life of Jesus into very particular people's very particular scenarios. Yeah. And you've got all the mission mandate you need right in front of you. Wow. Well, hey, let's do a quick uh, commercial break, and then I've got one more takeaway, and uh, and we'll we'll wrap it up. Sounds good. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining Him on His mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, Consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash Jim and John. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. Thanks for listening. Um, okay, so yeah, my, my uh, last takeaway um, in regards to, to calling again, because maybe it's just who I am as a, as a person, uh, but it freaks me out. The, the whole calling thing, thinking if you had missed it or if you took the wrong one, things like that. Um, and again, giving advice to other people as advice to yourself. I would say that w- the one of the big benefits of serving a living God, um, w- you know, a, a, a present and, and uh, active God, is the individualization of your faith. Um, and so I think if you are tuned in... Um, you know, if you if you do love our God with all your um, heart and mind, and you're you're really really tuned in, you're praying about it. I don't think you could receive the wrong calling and not notice it. I think you I think you know, and I I have a bad a traditionally kind of weak radar with these kinds of things, but when it's the spirit, I know. And and if mm-hmm. if I if I know it, then you probably can too. So if that's something you're struggling with, um, I think if you have to, like you said, if you have to even wonder about it, it's probably not, you know. It's probably not the way you need to go. So what I think, John, is that when you when you uh, there's a time when Samuel, you know, anoints Saul to be king, but it's not time yet for him to be king. And he says to him, in the meantime, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might for the Lord is with you. And sometimes we chase our tail wondering what's the exact thing, the exact thing that God wants me to do. When in reality, God says, what do you want to do? Yeah. I've given you a, a toolbox of resources and I've given you your brain and I've given you, you know, your passions. So follow those and whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord and the Lord will be with you instead of you having to solve this mysterious puzzle about what it is you're supposed to be doing. And I like the contrast of a blueprint versus a roadmap. If you have a blueprint, You've got to put every hole in the ground exactly where it belongs. Sure. And you've got to, you've got to prepare everything perfectly because otherwise the whole house won't work right or the whole building won't work right because something on the blueprints wasn't done right. But on a road map, you can get lost. And I've been lost many times. And all of a sudden you pull the map out and you go, Oh, I can take this road here and get back to where I should have been. 
because one of the things that will happen in your life, it's happened in mine, is you make a decision that you regret. And you walk away from something or you start something, you go, oh, man, this is not what God wanted for me. And you can have a feeling that you're stuck. I blew it. Now I'm disqualified. Now I can't get back. I asked myself for a stretch of time, if you walked away from the perfect will of God, do you ever get to go back? You know, how, how do you get back into the perfect will of God? Sure. And so I, it really is helpful to me to visualize God's leadership in my life, not like a blueprint that I have to get every detail exactly right within millimeters of tolerance versus it's a roadmap. And sometimes I do take a wrong turn and he can just open up the map and go, hey, look, here's where you are. Here's where I want you to be. Take this road right here That's and awesome. I can recover. And I, yeah, I never thought about it because you've, you've told me that analogy a few times growing up and I never thought of it as how, um, thought of it more of the the options so you think oh i could take these different routes to get there for some reason that's how i always took it but it's mm. i think it is more effective as a um as a that that there are as a course correction uh, exactly or there are contingencies there are things, yeah. there are ways to keep going um after you uh you deviate i do love that that's awesome all right so uh john your biggest your biggest personal takeaway from this conversation yeah uh uh, like I said, that uh, the you have a really individual relationship with the living God, and so you don't need to. Obviously, the Scripture is is our um, our biggest and best tangible gift that we have. Um, so obviously, read the Scripture and study it. But um, you don't need to only look at these models of people who have walked with with God, um, because you you have Him. You can talk to Him. You can ask Him, and and mm-hmm. and. Um, and I think that can't be overstated either. So I agree. And I think the thing I would encourage, I, I realized, uh, you know, halfway through this conversation that I, I actually am again getting clarity in my own mind about, um, how adventurous simplicity of following Jesus is hmm. for normal people. That's actually, that's a big aha too, is, is, is me saying that you can't always see the adventure, but it is, um, even in my very tame life, it's led to really cool stuff. Yeah, and if you're if you're open to it, and uh, there's a book called the Ten Second Rule. If you're if you're open to immediate obedience to God, and if every day you say, God, today instead of you following me, I'm going to follow you, and um, if you give me a prompting, I promise I will obey it within ten seconds. Uh, there is an adventure. And um, I think that's what he's, at the end of the day, he's calling us to. He's not calling you to live my life or me to live your life. He's calling me to live my life in obedience to and submitted to and responsive to his leadership in my life. Sure. And for his kingdom and his principles. And that looks different for every one of us because we all have a, a different context. Yeah. But that's awesome, though. All right. Well, hey, listen, thanks for listening. We'd love to hear back from you. You can email us at info at jimandjohn.com. No H in the John. You can check us out on Instagram. Go to our website, jimandjohn.com, and you can read blogs. Uh, check up there. Um, we have some uh, writing efforts we're about to begin, and so um, I'm going to publicly commit myself that uh, <laughs> we're going to work on some in this COVID world, we have a little little more margin to devote some energy to some writing. So we're going to start on some writing projects as well. But thanks for listening, John. Anything you want to add? 
Uh, no, just thanks for your uh, um, forgiveness for any audio hiccups if there are any. I think we're gonna be. I think we sound all right. Um, uh, but thank you for listening. Hope everyone's staying safe and staying sane in their uh, in their uh, quarantine situations. Um, but we're praying for you guys, and, and I think we can see the. I think we can see the end of the tunnel. I think we're we're getting there as far as this whole. Yeah, I sure hope so. Yeah. All right. God bless you. Have a great day.